0: Well, amen and amen. Good morning. Uh, It is good to see you uh, here this morning at Crosspoint. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn uh, to Romans chapter 6. Romans uh, chapter 6, and while you are flipping there, uh, it is the Sunday after Easter, and the tomb is still empty, uh, and it's Master Sunday, Uh, so it's a great Great day. Uh, if you don't know the Masters Sunday is it is, uh, the Masters Golf Tournament. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, that's why I have my green on. Uh, it's the only one time of the year that I can wear something this this color. Uh, but anyway, uh, Romans chapter six. And anyway, uh, so I do want to say a couple things. I know we said thank you last week on Sunday morning, uh, but I do want to say thank you to everyone who helped out last week for Ascend the Hill uh, and our outdoor service. It takes a lot of work uh, to pull those things off and a lot of time. I uh, definitely want to uh, give a shout out to Ryan and Daniel and Paul and the guys who uh, really, it's just nuts all week long. And so, and then everybody that helped out. Uh, and so, uh, man, it was just good to be outside last week too, wasn't it? My head did get burned. That's why it's not shaved this morning. Uh, and so it's pilling and things like that. And so, Better preparation next year. I'll have sunscreen, and I'll preach from my iPad so the wind doesn't blow my notes across uh, the stage. But anyway, you win some, you lose some, but you learn every time, right? Uh, <clears throat> so thanks again for that. So uh, th- through the rest of this month, what I want to do is I want to I want to book in the time that we've been spending. In uh, really since January of gospel, being gospel driven, gospel centrality. And when I say that, that doesn't mean we're not gonna be that anymore. What I mean is that I wanna move away from a topical sermon series and just kinda get into a book uh, for a little while inside the word and just kinda begin to do that. So I think it, I feel at peace about us. I think we've laid some good groundwork and things like that. It's time for us to move forward. But what I wanna do over the next three weeks uh, is to preach a sermon series called Good News People. Uh, And so uh, when Daniel and I were working with that this week, making the logo, we were kind of confusing ourselves because what I'm trying to say is that we are good news people, but it looks like I'm trying to say, hey, I got good news people. Uh, but anyway, and so definitely trying to, the crazy amount of time you think about a social media post that goes, all right, are people going, are we making an announcement here? Like we got good news people or are we trying to, anyway. Uh, so I'm going to do a series on us being good news people. I made mention of it at the end of the sermon last week, how we should be good news people. But for the next three weeks to, to finish this month up, that's what I want to do is uh, to, to preach a series called Good News People. And specifically, I want to talk about how the good news is good news for all people, not just people who don't know the Lord, but it's still good news for us who do know uh, the Lord. Because ultimately, we should be marked by being good news people, if you think about it. For the, for the church of Jesus Christ, those who have placed their faith in Jesus, those who've experienced the newness of life in Christ, the hope that we have because, hey, listen to me, it's been seven days in, uh, since Easter, and the tomb's still empty. It's been thousands of years, and, he, and as Scripture says this morning, he, he died once to never die again. That is still true this morning. So if there's anything that should mark us, It should be that we're good news people. Not just by the message that we preach, not just what we go to tell somebody who doesn't know Jesus, but I'm talking about even the disposition of my heart and my mind. I should be a good news person. Uh, The reality is that life shouldn't be uh, all buzzkill and shouldn't be down in the dumps all of my life, because why? Because I know Jesus, and the tomb is empty. We should be good news people. And I'm not talking about the people who put a facade on. I'm talking about even though the the, the darkest nights may exist, that we know the joy is still coming in the morning. I'm not talking about people who put on a fake front, but the idea that we may be shaken, but, but we don't despair. We don't lose hope. The grave is still empty. And I remember seeing this for the first time of someone who was just like a, a good news person. You ever met those people that's like, man, life could just wreck them, but it's like, are you even human? Because like, all they're talking about is how much they love the Lord and he's in control and things like that. And I'd always heard that, right? But I, it wasn't until my early 20s that I saw it. Uh, and I talk about Brother Troy Hopson a good bit. Y'all know, I mean, if you know him, he was my youth pastor. He, Uh, He's some kind of pastor at Salem Heights now. I think they've, I think he got too old and they pushed him out of youth ministry, but he's, he's something over there uh, now. But I I remember in my early twenties, his father had passed away and Troy, Brother Troy was real close uh, with his father. And I remember being at the funeral home and, uh, you know, people come up to you and are talking about, hey, you know, we're praying for you, that kind of a deal. And every time Brother Troy would respond to somebody, he would say these words, Hey, Jesus is still on his throne, so I'm going to be okay. I just like those simple words. I just mean like, your dad just died, man. Like just, But his, what he said was, is hey, Jesus is still on the throne, so I'm going to be okay. And, and it stuck with me even to this day because ultimately we live in a world that, that is full of doom and gloom. There it seems to be uncertainty around every corner, discouragement and fear on every social media post. But in the midst of that, in this world that we're called to sojourn in, we're still to be good news people. Good news that Jesus died and he rose again, that death is defeated and that the king is alive. But what I've come to understand is that we as believers, we who believe in this good news, what happens is, is a bit, the best way for me to say this, we have an incomplete view of the good news. And so let me further explain, let me try to explain that. Many people believe that Christianity, and I'm not talking about people outside the faith. I believe that this could be even said about many people sitting in this room this morning is that many people believe that Christianity is characterized by a lot of discouragement and frequent victory over sin in our own life, that we live our life wounded and defeated many times, that we get beat down by sin and think that the gospel has nothing to say to that. And the reality is, if that's the case, then our gospel is too small. That our gospel isn't effective. For many, our gospel talks a long time about getting into heaven and out of hell, or it's just a message that we share or should share with unbelievers. And when the pastor keeps talking about being gospel-centered and gospel-driven, we just pretend to think about eternity or outreach. We think about the gospel in terms of something that's happened past tense, that's something that I, that I once believed in, or we, or we believe about the gospel in a future tense that I know one day that when I die, I'm gonna go to heaven. But what about the in-between? What about the, what about the in-between from justification when I, when I get saved to glorification when I go to heaven? Does the gospel speak to my life here and now? Or are we left to figure this thing out on our own? Is it God says, all right, I'm going to save you? You don't have to worry about heaven and hell, but as far as sin and, and joy and all those things, you got to figure it out yourself. It's, a, it's up to you to, to figure it out and just make it through this mundane life. It's, there's no hope. There's no victory in store for you. Just, just do your thing, and I'll bring you home. We're left to figure it out on our own. So we just fight this mundane life, and we just hope for a better future. And what my fear is that we've missed something that is central to the gospel, that the gospel is good news even today for the believer. What I want to try to do the next three weeks is to teach why the gospel is still good news to us. Why the gospel is still good news for me and you today. Because we're good news people. And what we'll understand is the gospel has done a work in our life, and it will do a work in our life, but it's still doing a work in our life today. And tomorrow the gospel will still be at work in our lives. So what is the gospel? Uh, if you're taking notes, the number one, as far as just in part of the, with this sermon, the gospel is the good news that, that God sent Jesus to undo what Adam undid. Yes, I said that correctly, that, that God sent Jesus to undo what Adam undid in Hebrews chapter two, verse nine. The, the author says this, that we, we see him uh, being Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. He was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22, it says for as, as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ. So so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And in Romans chapter five, verses twelve through nineteen. I'm, it's gonna be a little lengthy, but follow with me. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin uh, not uh, sorry, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who is to come. But look at verse 15, it says, But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many die through one man's trespasses, much more have the grace of God and the free gift uh, of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. For the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment. Uh, following one trespasses brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, by, if because one man's trespasses that death reigned through that one man, much more will those who have received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. What we understand that the good news is that God sent Jesus to undo what Adam undid, that Christ came, because what we understand is because of Adam, because of our first father that sin entered this world, and what happened is it, it, it infected every single one of us, that we're born sinful, and the original creation, the way that God had created it, Adam undid it by his one act of disobedience. Oh, but the good news of the gospel is that the one act of obedience, it flips it back as right. That, that Jesus came to undo what Adam undid. That's what the gospel tells us, that, that God sent his son, that, that Jesus died, and that he rose again for sinners. And listen to me, that no longer are we evicted from God's presence or under his wrath. We, the garden has been regained, if you will. What Adam lost in the fall, Jesus restored in the empty tomb. The good news, number two, is that the good news is that in Christ we have been remade. I want you to catch this, not just considered to be. That that, that because of the gospel, because of the good news, that God creates, he makes us new. we, We are new in Christ. Not just being said of that, but he actually creates us new. We have been remade. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The good news of the gospel says that we have been regenerated, that we've been raised to a new life. His resurrection guarantees our, our resurrection. First Corinthians six fourteen says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. And 2 Corinthians 4.14, says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with, well, sorry, the, the, he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, bringing us with you into his presence. And so what we understand is that the, the, this is, this, the gospel, the good news, is important for our future. Yes, it is. And it is something that we must share with others. But how is it good news for me Today, because I've already believed in him. I've already trusted him. I know that my salvation is finished. It is done. I know you can, many of you can say this morning, I know that when I die, I will be in his presence. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Some of you would say this morning, most of you this morning would say, I have no fear about that. I have no. For some of you this morning, when I began to talk about death, you began to go, "Well, I don't know if I'm certain about that." And maybe we we pray that we can help you get some certainty on there because there is certainty to be had. There is a way that you can look at death; it's eyeball to eyeball, and not fear it. And and it's in the good news of the gospel in believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus. But I'm fully aware that the majority of people in here listen to me. You're not worried about salvation or what what happens when you die. You're trying to figure out how do I make it till then? How do I how do I how do I wake up tomorrow with dealing with the situation that I've been dealing with? Are you tired? Are you defeated? Specifically, this morning, has sin got you frustrated and beat down? Has the enemy spoken words of discouragement into your heart and mind? Hey, here's some good news for you this morning, child of God. You can write, this is what the whole sermon is going to be on. I haven't got to Romans 6 yet. I know I've got to move. Here's the good news for you today, that if you have been given new life by being raised with Christ, then you are no longer a slave to sin. That's good news for you today, by the way. That's not good news. That's not just good news that I don't have to to bear the punishment or the consequences of my sin anymore. But the gospel says this morning out of Romans chapter 6 is that you are no longer a slave to your sin anymore. Man, that's something. That's good news. Why? Because just, I'm glad you asked. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 1. And I'll say this from the get-go. I wish that I had more time over these next three weeks to really dive into this passage. I'm not going to just sink my feet in and my heels in. I'm just going to walk through and make some points, and then I'll tell you how this is good news for you today. Romans 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by that baptism into death in order that, I love that, in order that, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. Why is the Easter story important? Because just as he was raised, just as he was raised from the dead, so too are you to raise to walk in a newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Death no longer has dominion over him, for the death that he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, so you, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Look at verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we pray that as we as we dive into your word this morning, God, that you'll slow me down, that you'll slow us all down so that we can we can hear from you. God, I do pray against the evil one this morning, who we will come to understand, who you have defeated. Yet he is still alive and active, even this morning. God, I know for me personally that when I began to read passages that talk about sin, the big enemy, he begins to even whisper in my own life of, of how Christianity is its impossible. It's, it's impossible to follow you. It's impossible to do things that you've called us to. That when we begin to look at these passages, my flesh does not like passages that tells me to stop sinning. God, and if we're all honest, most, a lot of us in here this morning would go, this seems difficult. So God, I pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to feel and believe. May we not act in our flesh or respond in our flesh, but may we want to know more of you and to be transformed even more to the image of Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I will say this morning, I will get honest in a minute. Uh, not that I lie the most of the time I'm up here, but every once in a while I'll get honest. And uh, but I but I will some of you may have sat under Romans chapter six passage and teaching, and a preacher told you, hey, if you've got any sin in your life, then then you obviously haven't been born again. Or maybe they haven't said it that bluntly, but that's how you felt, because here this guy is preaching about. I'm dead to sin, I'm alive in Christ. Sin no longer has dominion, but then I look at my life and realize, man, I'm still struggling. And so not at one point, I want you to hear me say, if you've got sin in your life, then then God hasn't saved you. Now, I am gonna ask you to be super honest a little bit, because Paul is very specific here that sin will no longer have dominion over me. Not that I want occasionally sin, but he will say that sin will no longer be your master. So we are gonna look into that. Uh, I hope we're going to be honest at that moment, but at the same time, I want you to see this passage not in this condemning buzzkill, but actually the opposite, that that the gospel does something that frees you to actually live for the very first time. Right? You follow me? Like our flesh looks at this and goes, hellfire brimstone, here we go. No, it's it's like the gospel empowers us for the very first time that I don't have to be a slave to this flesh anymore. It's a, it's a complete paradigm shift. And so that's kind of the hope that I want to see you to see this morning. So verse 1, it says, what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Ultimately, in 2021's language, what he's saying is, should we keep, should we keep sinning so that we get more grace? That's ultimately the question that he's asking. And you say, Justin, that seems so far-fetched. Let me tell you, uh, Paul always had some opposers. He always dealt with opposers, uh, whether it be like the Jewish religious elite or the people on the other end who wanted Jesus, but wanted to live their life full of sin. And so they try to find some kind of doctrine or theology that backed those things up. Now, you could probably read a book who would make that sound a whole lot smarter, but that's Justin's version of it. You had these religious guys who ultimately it boils down to they did not trust grace to be sufficient. That There were some religious guys that if you boil it down to a nutshell, they said, yeah, we understand that it's grace that you get. Look at actually... Verse, chapter 5, if you have your Bible, just look back to chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Pause for a moment. For the Jewish man, that verse would freak him out. The very thought that, uh, that we could have some kind of peace with God, that we didn't have to be some kind of strict religious guy who followed this certain thing, like, I wouldn't trust that. For most, that's why they had our time with the gospel. Because it was free. It was a gift. It was nothing that they could add to it. And so Paul dealt with people who were constantly, they called them the Judaizers. You can read kind of how they started in Acts and how they were going through and really disrupting the church, telling Gentiles that they ultimately had to become a Jew to be a believer. And Paul said, no, it ain't happening kind of a deal. Uh, So they have this meeting, and anyway, they finally made like a declaration. It's faith and faith alone, uh, grace alone. But anyway... So he dealt with these people, the one group of people who didn't ultimately, they didn't trust grace to be sufficient for man to live in a way that was pleasing to God. That man had to, by his own effort, keep himself with God. Get himself to God and keep himself with God. But then he also dealt with the polar opposite of that. That he dealt with people who believed that sin was the, the thing that you needed to do in order to experience God's grace. And we understand that that obviously we're sinful and we experience grace, but in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, Paul makes this statement. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So there were literally people who were, this sounds so crazy, there were, there were literally people who were going around teaching, hey, if you want to experience the grace of God, you need to live it up. Because sin is really where God's glory gets magnified. So you do your thing like legit. That matter of fact, in Romans chapter three, if you flip back, verse eight, it says, this is literally what people were saying. And why not do evil that good may come? There were literally people teaching, live it up because that's how you're going to receive God's grace. So on one side, you had people who didn't trust grace to be sufficient, and on the other side, they had the people who, who didn't really care about righteousness at all. So what we see in Romans chapter six is that Paul, listen to me, he starts dropping truth bombs on both of them, a like gospel truth bombs to both of them, that yes, grace is sufficient, but at the same time, it calls us to live righteously. Grace will empower these things to happen because the gospel, the good news, does something in an individual's life that then not only it it enables them to be able to live the way that God has called them to live. So we start seeing this big gospel truth bomb. So Paul starts this question, why should we continue in sin that grace may Abound. There were people that thought that grace wasn't sufficient, people who thought righteousness did, did not matter. But listen to me, this is that good news, like the paradigm shift or looking at Romans 6. What Paul is trying to get to them is there, there is actually something better than a self-empowered, self-exalting type of religion that puffs men up and lets them tower over others. But there's also, there's hope for those who are honest enough to know that they can't do it on their own. And they tend to live into defeat and despair. That there's something greater than both of those things. And it's what the gospel does. The gospel is good news. It offers us a life that is far superior to anything else. So he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may Abound to continue. Uh, it, it, it speaks of a, a of a habitual practice, and in, in the original language, it would, it would picture someone who purposely lives in a certain place and makes its permanent his permanent home there. I want to be clear here this morning that here he's not talking about believers who occasionally fall into sin. We all struggle with our flesh. There's a part of us that isn't fully redeemed yet, and it is this nasty old man that is wasting away. Matter of fact, are you aware of your sin this morning? Are you tired of your spin or sin? Are you tired of battling? Well, just as a note of encouragement, that is because the Holy Spirit is indwelling within you this morning. And in Galatians five seventeen it says, "...for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, desires of the Spirit against the flesh." for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. He's not speaking to a Christian who occasionally sins here. He's speaking of someone who names the name of Christ yet makes a habit. They have ultimately that picture of they have they have set their residence in sin. That's where they live. That's their pattern of life. That's what he's addressing. Because I know he wouldn't because we see in First John 1 that John writes that if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves. And the truth isn't in us. If, then verse 9 says if we confess our sins, which means if we say the same thing about our sin that God does, that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Verse 10 says, but if we have said we have not sinned. so not at one time As Paul is saying, listen to me, if you have one sin in your life or if you occasionally fall in your life, then, then woe be you. He's talking about someone who's intentionally, willfully sinning as an established pattern of life. Before salvation, y'all, sin is the only pattern of life that we could live. It's the only one possible for us, but not for the believer. And I really hope this passage this morning encourages you. Again, I want to make myself clear again. Don't hear it in a a mad tense or tone or, or judgmental way. Hear it as the good news of the gospel. And the question that raises whenever we see this question and his answer is, can a true believer live in habitual sin? That's a conversation we need to, that's a, Obviously, it's something I can address here, but it's something we need, obviously, we can talk about. To say it in a more theological term, can justification, which salvation, you're justified before God, can justification truly exist without sanctification, without the process of being transformed into an image of Christ? Does the divine transaction of redemption, which means redemption is a purchasing term, it's a term where, where we've been bought with a price, we've been redeemed. Does the, that divine transaction of, of redemption does it have no continuing or sustaining power in those that it redeems? Paul says in verse two, <laughs> by no means. By no means. Are we shall to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means, he says. By no means may, it could be translated, may it never be. It's the strongest idiom, this word here, it's the strongest idiom of, of reputation in the Greek New Testament. It carries a sense of outrage. He says, by no means, absolutely not. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? Absolutely not. It's actually a double negative where he'd go, no, no. Have like, you ever been so mad like a kid before? You go, no, no. Like that's that picture that Paul, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, no, may it never be. Absolutely not. How can we, he says, uh, verse two, uh, sorry, yeah, verse two, how can we who die to sin still live in it? This died is a past tense terminology and ultimately saying to be as rational or you know, easy thinking as it comes, how can you live in something that you died to? The believer continuing in sin habitually is both illogical and irrational because how can you live in something that you died to? And Here goes the truth bomb. Check out verses three through 10. So he raises a question. He gives an emphatic answer. Now he's gonna explain why. And this is awesome. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness in life. Pause there for a moment. It says, do you not know that we were baptized into Jesus? Here, uh, he's using that that, that, that that mental picture of being fully immersed in Jesus. He says, "You are, listen to me. When you came to Jesus, you were fully immersed in who? Christ is his identity becomes your like you are placed within Christ it's not a little sprinkling it's not just a little bit of Jesus you are immersed into Jesus and so he says you have been you've been baptized into Jesus Kenneth Woos says this about that word baptizo here he says uh, what, he, what, what we this picture is that this baptism this baptizo, is the introduction or placing of a person or a thing into a new environment or into a union with something else so as to alter its condition or its relationship to its previous environment that we are immersed in Jesus Paul is giving us this imagery of being fully immersed in Christ fully immersed into the person of Jesus. And listen to me, you don't see this whenever you place your faith in Jesus, but Paul gives us a picture of what happens. This is what, when we place our faith in Christ, when we get born again, when we get saved or whatever terminology you want to put on, this is what happens. First of all, he says, when you're baptized into Jesus, first off, he says that you were baptized into his death. Then he says, What? We were therefore buried by baptism. It, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. What happens is this picture, this salvation, looked to what we celebrated last week. What we remembered on Friday and what we celebrated on Sunday is that Jesus died. That there came a point that Jesus died. He was placed in a tomb, and then three days later, he rose again, right? And so that's the picture, the imagery that Paul gives us for our, our, our experience with salvation, is that when we come to Jesus, first of all, we're baptized into his death, that we die. We die to ourselves. It's the words of Jesus, if any man desires to come after me, he must deny himself. We come in death. We are baptized into his death. We're fully immersed. His death becomes our death. We die to ourselves. That is the first call that we have from Christ is to come and to die to ourselves. In order to come to Christ, we must first die. Which, side note... Which may be the reason why many people struggle with Christianity in the first place. Because listen to me, it's impossible to live the Christian life with me still being at the center of it. That's just a side note. It's, it's impossible to trust God, it's impossible to walk out faith, it's impossible to, to, to live a life that's following Jesus if we have not died to ourselves. It's impossible. Because I'll get frustrated, I'll get confused, and the moment things don't add up, I check out if I can't balance the checkbook, if you will. So he says, we are baptized into his death, we're fully immersed, we're buried with him, Paul says, and then he says this. We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father that we too may walk in newness of life that we were buried with him so that we could be raised. And when we raise, what Paul says in Romans 6 is that we're raised and we're raised to a newness of life. We're not the same people we once were, that the intended purpose of the death and the burial is the resurrection for Jesus, but also for the believer. This is why we do baptism, by the way. When we do baptism over here, uh, we need to have one, by the way, and so this is kind of a, a call out to uh, uh, when we baptize somebody, there's the buried with him in baptism and, and raised to walk in unit's life. It is that imagery of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that's the one, two of the things that Christ calls us to to do as the church is is the Lord's Supper and baptism. And so, have you have you placed your faith in Christ and have you followed him in baptism? If, if you haven't baptized, we would love to talk to you about that listen to what charles hodge says about this death burial resurrection newness of life he says this there can be no participation in christ's life without the participation in his death we cannot enjoy the benefits of his death unless we are partakers of the power of his life we must be reconciled to god in order to be holy and we cannot be reconciled to god where, without thereby becoming holy the good news is that the gospel answers all of those things. In order to experience the life of Christ, uh, the life that he offers, we must die. His death brings about the benefits that we can only experience through the, with life that comes from his death. And in order to be holy, we must be reconciled to God but to be reconciled to God, we must become holy. That's the good news of the empty tomb. And listen to me, on Friday, Jesus paid the punishment for sins. Our sins could be forgiven, but guess what? We're still missing something to be able to walk into the presence of God, and it's called holiness. And through his resurrection, he gives us life. He gives us his righteousness. And so the good news is that the gospel takes care of those so when we come to Christ we come and die. You can't have the life of Jesus offers without first being baptized in his death. Are you trying to live this Christian life on your own strength and just Paul's Romans just hard questions. Is your life marked in this continuing in sin? This habitual sin? Like, if we were beyond, I don't ask you to raise your hand and close your eyes. Just real talk for a moment because scripture says it's impossible for those who have been truly born again to habitually live in sin. If that's you this morning, why? Maybe you're unaware of the power of the gospel, or maybe you haven't died to your sin. Maybe you haven't repented and died to yourself. I wanna invite you to do that this morning. I wanna invite you to trust in Jesus. Because listen to me, he offers you a life that is greater than any self-religion, self-elevating thing that the world can offer you. But listen to me, you don't have to live this life in despair and hopelessness either because of your sin. That he can save you and give you hope. It says, you raised the newness of life. This is the word kairos, which means the newness and quality. And then look at verses. I just want to read these, by the way, because I know I got to get done. Verse five, it says, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with the resurrection like his. Paul's Rome. I guess what we have to answer is this. Do you believe that the grave is empty? Like this is. If we don't believe this, then none of this matters. Let me say, I, need to, I should have said this at the beginning. The, the question we must answer is, did Jesus fully bodily resurrect from the grave? Do you believe that? Now Paul says this, if we've been united with him in a death like his, certainly we'll be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died, has been set free from sin. If we've died with Christ, believe that we also live with Him. Verse eleven says, "So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God." I got to close this morning. I'll, if you want my notes, we can give you my notes. Here's three things I want to. Good news for the believer this morning. Number one, we've said it a hundred times, but you are no longer a slave to sin you've been born again, if you've been buried into his death and raised to walk in newness of life, you are no longer a slave to sin. He is no longer your master. Number two is that Christ defeated our enemy and sin. Hebrews 2, 14 through 16 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through the death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and, the deliverer of the, all the, and deliver all those who were through the fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, that Christ defeated our enemy and sin. The third thing I want you to take home, the good news this morning is that the same power that crushed sin, death, and the devil is at work within you. Ephesians one through 19-21 says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ Christ when he raised from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. So how does the rubber hit the road here? How's that good news for me this morning? I want to tell you this morning, child of God, do not believe the devil's lies. Do not believe the words of discouragement that he sows in your heart and your mind. Why? Because the good news tells me something different than what his words tell me. The devil whispers that Christianity is full of discouragement, it's too hard, and it's impossible. And what I've come to understand is that good news people make a habit of preaching the good news to themselves not just the lost around us, but to ourselves, that in spite of our flesh, that we remind ourselves that that we have resources within us in Christ that outlast any temptation, that despite the satisfaction that sin promises, that they're ultimately just shallow buckets compared to the ocean of joy that comes with walking with the Lord. The gospel reminds us of how Jesus paid to give us power to overcome sin, so, you don't have to give an inch that Jesus died for this sin that is creeping at your door this very hour. The engine of the Christian experience is the good news that God has given you a new life in Him. Oh, church, we need to learn to preach the good news to ourselves every day. That we remind ourselves that what God has done for you in Christ as often as you can. When Satan tempts you to despair and preaches condemnation to your heart, remember that Jesus took your death sentence away and he made an end to all of your sin. Oh, listen to me, what does that mean? How does the, what, is the God, what is the good news for me? Because I don't know about you, but there are times that, man, that, it seems like the, the, the voice of the enemy is way louder than the voice of my father. And he's whispering, Justin, if they only, if they only knew you. They could just see you behind closed doors and maybe that's just me, but maybe that's, I think it's called an imposter syndrome or something that I'm just scared that you're going to find out who I am kind of a thing. I think I feel vulnerable up here. But I, I, would, I would say that majority of us in here that and the enemy is ruthless in our own hearts and our minds. You're not lovely. Nobody loves you. You're not worthy. Oh, your sin has disqualified you. You can't overcome the sin. It's got its power over you. Oh, oh no, I've been, I've died with Christ. And I've been buried with him and I've been raised to walk in the newness of life. The gospel has made me new and it's, it gives me power. Yes, I'm sinful and I'm messed up, but, But God, who's rich in love and mercy, that even at my worst, even when I was sinful, that he he sent Christ to die for this ungodly man. I just don't see if there's a way out, man. Life is heavy right now. Life is tough. I don't, I don't think there's a way out. No, listen to me. Jesus died, and he was buried, but he, he busted. He busted the grave wide open. There's the empty tomb, and the, the gospel tells me that, that he ascended on high, and now he's ascended at the right hand of the Father, and that one day he's going to come back for his children. Listen to me. It will get better. It does get better. It will be a day that all right all wrongs are made right. Oh, yes, there is a day. Listen to me. No matter what the enemy whispers, the gospel, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, as John would write it. Well, how's the gospel good news for me? Because listen to me, I need to hear it every day. Maybe I'm the only pagan up in this place, but... We remind ourselves what God has done for us in Christ, and besides preaching the gospel to ourselves, we—God has given us ordinary means of grace: the Bible, prayer, corporate worship, fellowship. And here's the good news this morning: the gospel reminds us of this, child of God. If you do sin if you do, if you have messed up, which we do and will do, that Jesus stands ready to forgive even this morning. Child of God, if, have you missed the mark? The enemy is whispering, God's disappointed. He wouldn't accept you back. No, the gospel says, first of all, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. But if you know you have sin, because the Holy Spirit has revealed that, he says, in 1 John 1, 1.8. Actually, let's just go to 2.1. It says, but my little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Christ, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Oh man, that's the good news about the gospel. Yes, the gospel has caused us, he's, he's invited us to die with Christ and he's raised us to a, a newness of life and now we're no longer slaves to sin. Paul emphatically says that it will not have dominion over us and then he says, but listen to me child of God, you have got to consider yourself dead to sin. Don't be the Enemy. I mean, don't be the victim. That because of the Jesus in you, you gotta consider yourself dead to sin. That it's not gonna it's not gonna own you anymore. And he gives practical applications, practical things to do. I don't have time to do that, but this morning, man, I'm thankful. The good news is still the good news even after you've known Jesus for 20 years. I just had to do the math how long I've, actually 21, I'm 34 now, 21 years. Actually, the good news is even sweeter today than I think it was when I was 13 years old. Because what I understand is that the gospel is not just about heaven and hell. It's about right now that it gives hope for today and strength for tomorrow. Right, Felita? This morning, would you thank God for his gospel, his good news? And if you don't know God this morning, if you don't know Christ, I implore you to trust in Jesus. It's the only way to find victory over sin. It's the only way to know what happens when you breathe your last breath? Will you trust in him? Child of God, have you made a shipwreck of your faith? Has enemy got you down? I invite you, as the band leads us in this last song, to come to Jesus, confess Scripture scriptures he is faithful and just to forgive you. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your good news, that this news... It encapsulates everything from from before while we were still sinners to the moment we come to know you to each and every day in my life until you bring me to glory. May this morning, may your word to us be stronger and louder than the word of the enemy that is against us. May we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to you. May you empower us to walk that way. God, if there's anyone in here this morning who does not know you, who has not placed their faith in Jesus, who has not died to their self, repented of their sin and trusted in you, God, I pray that today your spirit will draw them to do so. God, for the believer who has been hiding sin or struggling and they felt unworthy, God, may your spirit draw them to you, the only place to find forgiveness and strength. So in Christ's name we pray, amen.